3: Welcome to the Nebraska Hawk's Nest. These
0: guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past
3: their prime, but they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye height to all of Nebraska. The
1: frost advisory is cancelled. Corn huskers? More like corn shuffles.
3: Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go!
4: All right. Welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. We are lucky enough to be joined by Iowa Hawkeye, in my opinion, legend James Morris. How's it going, man?
0: It's going really well. I'm I'm ready to run through a wall after that intro video, man. That, that kid had me excited. That was really cool.
4: The Hawkeye hype kid, man. He's awesome. We just uh, recently released, uh, just yesterday actually, uh, we did an interview with him where um, I was completely out of it, but my kids sat down, and they just think he's the coolest kid ever. So they had a list of questions, and they're like, can we interview him? And I'm like, that's genius. Absolutely, you can. So yeah. we just uh, released that yesterday, and it turned out awesome. He's uh, The kid's got moxie. He's really good at what he does. He just comes from an awesome family, too. So they're really great people.
0: Yeah, that was exciting to watch, man. It got me excited. I got I got uh, jitters.
4: They did a version of um, you know, they did like a George Kittle one, and that this mm-hmm. kid, Hawkeye hype kid, he redid it, and they played it pregame at Kinnick a handful of times. So he's a uh, he's blowing up. He's pretty yeah, popular. Good for him. Dude, yeah, good Yeah, he, he's he's damn good at it. That's for sure. Awesome. Hey, James, tell everybody right now about what, what's going on with you in life. Um, you know, all the Hawkeye fans love to know, like, you you know, married, have kids, where you're living, um, and, and what, what you're doing for work.
0: Yeah. So right now I live in Waukee uh, with my wife. We've been married for six years now. We got married okay. right out of school um, and she is actually pregnant with our first kid. So she's about oh, congratulations. 17. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. We're getting ready to tell the parents uh, the sex this weekend at Easter. So it'll be a nice surprise for them. Um, but uh, life in Waukee is good. Um, she's a student at Des Moines University. Um, Okay. In town here in their their physician assistant program. And then I I work for Principal um, downtown Des Moines and I'm a member of their real estate investing team. Um, So I work with a group of guys that that cover uh, the Northeast. So it'd be New Jersey, New York, Boston. And we're sort of responsible for... Uh, Principal and then some of our other clients, real estate investments in those markets. Specifically, I'm on I'm on the debt side, so you could think of think of it as like being a loan officer for
4: really, really, really big loans. Um, okay, that's it. that's awesome, and then principals are really. You know, well-respected group in in Des Moines that everybody knows about. And I believe the Iowa Cubs stadium is still uh, named through them, right? Principal park. See, when I, I grew up in Des Moines and it was called sec Taylor stadium forever. Okay. And so, you know, baseball fans, like they don't like change at all. So everybody in Des Moines that I still know, they still call it sec Taylor stadium. They're like, we're not, we can't call it anything else. It was called sec Taylor stadium for like 40 years and and announced park, but it's a, I love that place. A ton of good memories.
0: Well, okay. Yeah. I'm I'm figuring out different kind of Des Moines vocab words that are a little bit different than any other places like I've lived. So I, I never heard the term squinny until oh, it's I moved to Des Moines. Yeah. So I'm like, what in the world is a squinny? So maybe you could tell everybody what a squinny
4: is. Okay. Uh, it's funny that you said that because we used to go squinny hunting when we were kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. My, I had a buddy of mine that lived out in the country and we would fill up some buckets. I sound like such a redneck telling this story. No, you're fine. And, it's... And it's awesome. And of course, you know, we're in high school and we'd maybe sneak a couple course Lights out with us and we would um, fill the hole with water. And then one of us would wait at the other end with a bat. And when the squinny would pop <laughs> his head out,
0: Ping. Oh man, I thought you were going to say i had like a 22 or like a BB gun. You no, we took the them out, with man a, out.
4: Yeah, we took them out with a bat cuz I they're they used to like eat flowers and get into the gardens oh, yeah. and, and tear the yard up. So we they're, used to go squinty hunting all the time.
0: They're they're my nemes, nemesis in the backyard right now. I'm kind of my grandpa was a big gardener and so I kind of like you know inherited a little bit of it by accident. So one thing I tried to do this year was like go out I went out to actually waveland okay um, in the fall and then they had a bunch of acorns on the oak trees all throughout waveland. So I'm like my wife and I just bought an acreage and coming and so I kind of wanted to get some oak trees going and I okay. was wondering if I could start them on my back porch and so I went out and ended up you know harvesting a bunch of acorns and then tried to get them to grow over the winter yeah um or stratify and the squinnies were getting in there and digging them out of the pots and stuff so i got these cages on them now but i was like man i needed a baseball bat uh this winter so but anyways for people from eastern iowa we called them ground squirrels
4: okay yeah that sounds a little bit more normal yeah a
0: little more descriptive i'm like what is a squinny yeah Uh,
4: yeah, i don't know what we are talking about i don't know why we called them that that was just always like what it was called so i'm like yeah we're gonna go squinny hunting today
0: I'm trying to figure out what what is beggars' night and what was wrong with Halloween
1: <laughs> and why yeah. we
0: can't just do stuff on Halloween. So Taylor and I are talking. When our when our kids born, we might be the only people that are out trick or treating on Halloween. Just to, so you guys just
4: didn't to have, protest. You didn't have beggars' no. night.
0: No, we just had Halloween.
4: Like really?
0: <laughs> that's why yeah.
4: All right. So I, I, I grew up with out. that. I guess I just thought that was normal too. I thought everybody did that. Not what? you're making you're making my whole childhood feel real super weird right now. Well,
0: what is what does Omaha do? Are they Peggers night or are they Halloween?
4: I'll be honest with you. Like I live about an hour north of Omaha and we we live okay. on like a, a little acreage too, like on about three or gotcha. four acres. And um we I don't know what they do, honestly. I thought that they had a separate night too, but that's interesting. I didn't know in eastern Iowa. See, no, th- that was my thing too. I always said, why in the heck don't we just do the trick-or-treat on Halloween? That makes more sense. And that's funny that you brought that up because I've said that a million times, but everybody's like, I don't know, that's just what we do. That's oh, that's is, how it is.
0: This is an awesome conversation because I've had this same conversation <laughs> with like a hundred people from Des Moines. So you might be in Nebraska, but you are still very Des Moines to your core, boss.
4: Yeah, I grew, I lived there till I was, um, 18, went away to college, came back for a couple of years and then got drunk back to Nebraska. So, um, I'm probably here for life, but, um, I'm representing gotcha. black, black and gold here very strong every day. I love it. That's awesome. That that's pretty cool though. You're learning the little Des Moines things. Yeah. Uh, the one tip I'll give you is if you guys love like Italian food, like the best pizza you'll ever have, get over to the South side of Des Moines. There is a ton of good places like Scornovacos, uh, Baratas, uh, Paisanos. Yeah. We were so, just at
0: Temea and Sons last week. Yeah,
4: that place is fantastic. That's one of the the core, really love the Latin King, like all yep. of that stuff. That's on the east side. But um, if you want really good Italian food and okay. there's like Italian markets and things like that, um, I'm about the most pale Norwegian looking kid you'll ever find. So I'm not Italian, but. I had a lot of Italian friends and lived in Italian neighborhoods. And so okay. I learned a lot from, from that. And I, I'm addicted to it the rest of my life, but then you have it anywhere else and it's not as good. Like it's super authentic out there. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. Baratas is on the short list. We were kind of, so my wife's been vaccinated. I'm getting my first dose this week. Okay. And as things kind of slowly begin to normalize, we're like, you know, what are what are some things we want to do to sort of make up for lost time? And I'm like, Hey, we've lived in Des Moines almost four years now. We haven't tried all the mom and pop staples, you know, so oh. let's let's hit up the places on the east side, on the south side that are sort of, you know, that's where the locals go. Right. And mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of one of the goals. So we're like the first time it was Tamea and Sons and then we got we got to list of other places we want to hit up.
4: That's definitely what you got to do. What's it like in Waukee? Because I know when I lived in Des Moines, Waukee was a blip on the radar. It was just yeah. getting ramped up and getting going. And now it's huge. It's blown up.
0: Yeah, it's it's the epitome of suburban sprawl. Um, there's we live in town. Um, so in the triangles, what they call it, you know, by the okay. grain elevator and the co-op. And so if there was a, a town component to Waukee, that would be it. But as far as the rest of it, it's it, it's much it's like North Liberty for okay. folks from East now, but four or five times as big. So you it's it's suburban sprawl right i mean look at yeah. west and north of chicago you know it's just as far as you can see homes and as fast as they can get the materials they're throwing up more homes great school yeah. districts you know well amenitized but there's not necessarily a main street or you know a, a community vibe uh, i'll say okay.
4: um i was going to circle back to i forgot to say with your whole garden thing if anybody flips you crap about that there's nothing better than having a killer garden and then having like vegetables for dinner right out of your garden. Absolutely. Anybody wants to run their mouth. I don't care. Like my wife and I, we don't have like, we live right, uh, right by the water. So, Mm -hmm. Our soil's a little sandy. It's not that beautiful, rich Iowa soil, and so we had to dump a bunch of soil on it. And we planted a planted a garden. Man, it's just like living luxury having that out there, just uh, absolutely for every meal. But if you want to kill those squinnies, pop a hose down that hole and sit okay. there, <laughs> sit there with a the baseball bat. Just you're gonna go go swinging, man. Swing for the fences. Oh
0: man, yeah. I gotta tip my neighbors off beforehand so they know I'm not crazy.
4: No. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let them know because they'll think you're nuts, too. So yeah. our our neighbors probably thought that we were insane, too. But, hey, you know, that just comes with the territory. All <laughs> right. So we got to get down to uh down, down to the serious stuff. Now, when you were coming out of high school, uh, it, it seems like you were pretty dead set from the beginning on being a Hawkeye. And yeah. I know Stanford was really hot on your trail. You're yeah. uh, you're a real intelligent guy. Um, always a good student was how hard was it to say no to stanford and did you ever at any point um especially you know i'm sure your your dad seems like the type of guy that he's not going to influence you he's gonna say hey make the decision that's best for you greg just seems like he's that kind of guy um unless he did otherwise you tell us but what was that recruitment process like
0: yeah um yeah that's a really interesting question man you did your homework um yeah so I got offered by Iowa when I was a sophomore. And then the summer after my sophomore year is when Stanford offered me. And this was before Stanford was really good. Yeah. So my junior year of high school, I believe I'm getting my dates right, is when Toby Gerhardt had his really good season. He oh. was like a Heisman finalist and then yeah. put them on the map. And then from there they took off and then Harbaugh left and Shaw took over. And it's just been, you know, they win 10, 12 games a year like clockwork. Yeah. So the idea of, if you were a serious high school football player, you know, that had good prospects to be a good college player and then dreamed of playing in the NFL, the idea of going to Stanford was probably not as appealing. Mm. Um, and it's also interesting to think about sort of like that, the academic allure of Stanford, um, and the effect that that had on me as a small town, Iowa kid, um, was not very pronounced like, Oh, it's a good academic school. But, you know, I have no perception, had no perception of sort of the universe of the Ivy leagues and that there were these careers called management consulting and investment banking and all of these things that, you know, no idea. Right. And it just really wasn't a concern. So as far as turning down, going to a place like Iowa and going to a place like Stanford, on the basis that it would open doors to me that, that I couldn't even imagine that just, it just didn't even register for me as a 16 year old in a town of 2000 people whose dad worked for the football team. And all I wanted to do was play football. Right. And it just so mm-hmm. happened to be that I was a good student. It, it just wasn't even on my radar.
3: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, I, I loved Iowa. I always want to go to Iowa. I certainly do not regret going to Iowa. I mean, everybody has things where it's like, Oh, I would do this a little bit different. I'd speak oh, yeah. up here. I wouldn't do that. Don't get me wrong, I have that, but I don't necessarily regret it. Um, it's probably one of those things where I say to myself, you know, if I had a a second life, maybe I'd do that. You know, and, sorry about that.
4: That's totally okay. I got my dog barking in the background, so don't worry about that. But all.
0: you know, the ultimate thing I will say too is, my wife and I dated in high school. She ended up going to Iowa, had a great academic run at Iowa. Um, uh, we got married right after my senior year, and I, I couldn't imagine it would have been extremely hard, you know, to do that had I gone to Stanford. So, you know, for that reason, I mean, it's like no consideration on my yeah. part. But it, it is interesting now in my job at principal that particularly working in the Northeast, you start to bump into a lot of people from those communities, right? Your Stanford's, your Northwestern's, Chicago's, Ivy leagues and kind of rub elbows with that universe and see just really how different it is yeah. in, uh, than, than being from Iowa. But that said, I mean, listen, Iowa's great. We love Iowa. There's a reason we chose to move to Des Moines Yeah. Um, and, and not stay out there. So yeah, all that to say it was not as serious of a decision-making process as maybe what you might think. You know, okay. we were, we were pretty biased towards Iowa. And it was like, you know, I, I'm going to Iowa. I didn't even, I didn't even take a visit. You know, they came and they came to the high school, Stanford coaches did. And we kind of had to sit down. And it's like, listen guys, I just, I want to go to Iowa. That's, that's what I want to do. That's my dream. Um, And that was kind of it. But I do remember when, it, when I got the scholarship offer, Jim Harbaugh called me at my house, my parents' house. Cause I don't think I had a cell phone at the time. Okay. And I talked to that guy for like an hour and a half on wow. the phone and he just would not let me off the phone. And you know, he has a reputation for being a, um, a persistent recruiter. Yeah. he's kind of one of those things where I'm like, coach, man, I got to eat. And he's like, well, wait, 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 let me tell you about this. And so we ended up talking about, I don't know, I think my only, my only exposure to Stanford at that point had been I saw the movie Orange County um uh, with, okay. uh, with Jack Black. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah, so I'm trying to funny. talk to this guy about the movie and like, yeah, give him the synopsis. And <laughs> he had no idea. He's like, "What? Like the the brothers, the Stoner, the what?" Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah, so
4: Harbaugh's one of those guys that like he eats and drinks and buries football and he probably doesn't really know a whole lot else of what's going on out there. And but Orange County definitely underrated movie. It's freaking hilarious. Though.
0: Well, look, I had no idea about the guy. And then like looking back on that conversation, I mean this guy's got 1960s black fl- black frame glasses and we're pleated khakis in yeah. 2020. You know, and I'm trying to yeah. talk to this guy about like, you know, alternative lifestyle, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so it was just a well, weird memory
4: The you know the thing that you know we always got to keep in mind too is you know university of iowa is no academic slouch that's one of the best you know public yeah. institutions in the country too so you know you, you definitely had that on your side and once that once that you know black and gold gets running through your veins as a kid and you have the opportunity to go play there especially a kid growing up in iowa i don't know that that's something that any kid could walk away from regardless of like who offers you because that's a that's a lifelong dream and that's what, you know, on the basketball side, I always think it's kind of odd. You know, we get a top tier high school recruit and a lot of times they'll end up going to like a North Carolina or something like that. And it's like, well, they probably were never big Hawkeye fans to begin with. And because right. once that gets in your blood, you, you can't really see yourself anywhere else. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, too, about what, probably one of the big draws to, you to uh, of you going there um, with your dad, Greg who we have a ton of respect for and such a great guy. And I just think there's so many interesting things with your guys' relationship. Um, tell us about when, um, you know, because I had a very similar situation as you did with okay. my stepdad coming into my life. So um, when I read about your story, it really hit home with me and I, I really felt like I could, you know, put myself in your shoes. Tell us tell, tell us about what it was like with uh, great coming into your life and, and becoming your stepdad and how he changed your life.
0: Yeah, uh, man, we're getting into the, the, the really, uh, you did your homework. I, I'll say it again.
4: Um, I, I'm an, I'm a, I'm a James Morris fan. I'm not just some okay. dude. Okay. Like okay. I'm i I'm a fan, man. I, uh, I, and I, awesome. you, gotta do, you gotta do your homework too. You gotta, you took, the time, at, you yeah, took the time out of your day to sit down with us. I need to make sure I'm prepared.
0: So I'm adopted. Um, Greg is my adopted father. Um, my mother is my biological mother. And so my biological parents divorced when I was 11 and they had a pretty tumultuous relationship, you know, and there were things that were just not good things. Right. It wasn't a good yeah. situation. And that had manifested itself in my life, and my brother's life. And I would say, you know, if you were to look at 11 year old James or nine year old Jake, that's my brother's name, you probably would say these are not promising young kids. You know, they're they're uh, little hellions. Right? Yeah. It would be how it would be described. But we both had high aptitude. I mean, there, were, there was talent there, you know, athletically and intellectually. And then my mom was a single mom for a little while there. And my brother and I were latchkey kids in Iowa City, yeah. getting into trouble and just kind of doing that whole thing. Right. Yeah. And then my mom started dating Greg. Um, and so that was kind of a, a really, Interesting experience for an 11 year old who was coming from what was probably a bad marriage, bad household and not a lot of structure to them being a latchkey kid. And I, I'm not telling, I'm not kidding you. Like I would get out of school at 11 years old, you know, at Regina and I just go downtown Iowa city and jack around or just yeah. walk around, you know, or like shoplift candy bars from hy like yeah. that type of crap, you know, like just, that's what you did. Yeah. And. You know, and then Greg kind of came into our life and really added a lot of structure and a lot of discipline, but was also sort of that that positive male role model, right? Continuously employed, embraced responsibility, um, goal oriented. You know, got us participating in activities. You know, up until that point, you know, I think the first time I ever played organized sports was like 12 years old. Mm. I just, you know, it was just kind of a run around neighborhood kid. Didn't play sports until I was 12. So yeah. it's always interesting. You know, I talk to people in Des Moines and they'll say, like, you know, my kid's eight years old. What do I need to do to get make sure he gets a D one scholarship? I'm like, have really good genetics, you know, and yeah. don't burn them out. Cause that's 95% of it. Yeah. You
4: know,
0: like you're not gonna bootstrap your way into a a D one program.
4: No. You know, maybe D
0: two, maybe D three, but yeah. So it's and I'm living proof of that, right? You know, I had no structure up until the time I was twelve, hit puberty genetics take over, you have good, you have good discipline, you have good sports system at home, and then, you know, things just kind of play themselves out. So, yeah, that was kind of my, my childhood into my adolescence. And then things just continued to improve, I continued to mature, um, continued to excel athletically and academically, and then just kind of kept that going um, when I got to Iowa. And then, you know, I would say probably after my sophomore year, I started to develop maybe, I'll say, like, you know, Genuine sense of self, genuine sense of maturity, start to develop. You know, some long term goals, and that would be kind of when I, I'd, I'd say that was sort of the the completion of my childhood. Right when I was like twenty years old. So,
4: putting um, putting put myself in, into your shoes and thinking about where I was at at that point in my life as a kid, that had to have been a hard transition kind of just being able to, like you said, a latchkey kid doing your thing and um, doing whatever you wanted to do. Was that a tough transition going from um, the way things were to more of a structured um, lifestyle with Greg in your life? Yeah,
0: it it was kind of a a tough time period in one sense. You know, my parents were freshly divorced and, you know, I haven't seen my biological father, you know, since I was 11. Yeah. And we were at Regina because we were a Catholic family. And Regina's kind of, you know, it's an interesting community and in that there's really good families there, right? But it's kind of a combination of well-to-dos within the city. It's a private school and then mm-hmm. the die-hard Catholics, right? The people that are like, I'm sending my kid to private school. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. And my sense is that just general run-of-the-mill middle-class folks are like, eh, I'm going to send my kid to a good public school, and that's what it is, right? So th- these private schools like that, they, they seem to be barbelled from like a cultural, socioeconomic okay. standpoint. And we were not necessarily on the affluent side of that barbell. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell you, I didn't have like great friendships, you know, at that elementary school. I had a couple. Yeah. And then moved to Solon, which is sort of like a small town public school. You know, it's just everybody knows everybody, right? And I'm the new kid and I don't play sports. And so that was tough too, changing schools in sixth, seventh grade, middle school, everything's changing. So it, it was... And then I'm getting adopted. I've got this new dad. Like, mm, you know, yeah. it's things you don't think about when you're that age. But then you look back, and you're like, "Whoa, that that's kind of a big life shift for a young person." So for things to kind of work out as well as they did, I think is a big testament to my parents. Um, yeah. more than anything. Yeah, when you, we're getting into the weeds. Everybody's going to know like my my personal business. I'm trying to keep it.
4: It's interesting you know, stuff, though, and you know because, I, I you say that again.
0: I'm trying to keep it as surface level as I can, but I mean, yeah, you just think about, you know, the things you've been through and it's interesting the way things work out.
4: You you know, when you talk to somebody that's been through something similar like that and a similar type of upbringing with that, it's just like, you can kind of just look and be like, yeah, I get you, man. You know, I I was there too. And, um, you know, people can take that and use it as a, as an excuse as an adult. Well, I didn't have, you know, this type of upbringing as a kid and, you know, lean on it as a crutch where, you know, I can definitely tell this is something, you know, you're going to be doing throughout your life and something that I've done with my kids as you use it as an example of, you know, with the absence, you know, cause you know, I hadn't seen my father since about third grade. And, um, you know, when my parents got divorced and you look back and it's like, you know, when you have kids of your own, you think, how in the hell could somebody not be a part of their kid's life and just go on with on throughout their life without being a part of them? Like, I just don't, I don't have that in me. And they give you more of an example of what not to do and a path not to follow. And it seems like you had two fantastic examples, you know, of a path not to follow and then a path to follow with Greg, your adopted father. Um, And, you know, I had a very, very similar situation with my stepdad as well. Um, Just a, you know, a great guy and you know, a, a father figure that I never really had that, you know, like yeah. you said, consistently employed, pushed me into sports, you know, it really changed my life. So, you know, I definitely get where you're coming from with that. And it's, uh, it'll, it'll make you out to be a, you know, a fantastic father. So, um, you know, you always remember that stuff when you, you have your kids in front of you and you're going to be surprised as your kids develop and get older, how those different experiences as a kid, uh, resurfaced sure. in your brain as a parent and be like, okay, I remember when this happened and I, and what I thought and how I felt, this is how yeah. I'm going to handle this now as a dad, because I want it to be like this for my child. And right. So I'm, yeah, uh, you,
0: you said it very well, what to do and what not to do. It's, nice having, you know, both, right. Yeah. having something to draw on.
4: Absolutely. And that, people don't think of it like that usually, you know, and I, I feel blessed I've had some bad examples in life and, you know, you, you go, you lurk, look at that and be like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want that path. So you go a different way. So um, ever since your time at Iowa, I've always followed your story and, and really related to it. And so that's why I, um, you know, felt a lot of parallels with you and followed your career pretty closely because I, I that's just awesome, thought that, man. That, that was a cool story. Um, one, one thing I've heard a lot about that I just think is hilarious, and I admire a ton how you've handled it, like with a lot of grace, and you've just been super chill about it. Your teammates seem to flip you a lot of crap about your dad and giving them equipment that they want and gloves and different wow. things like that. And it's just like, okay here's the deal. Like you got to put yourself in Greg's shoes a little bit. Like the dude gets a budget. He can only have so much stuff. And then once it's gone, it's gone. And you know, I'm sure a lot of those guys, you know, are like, you only think about yourself at that point. Like I need this, I need that. You, You can get by with less. Okay. Like, um, what was it like during your time at Iowa? cuz i know you still get flip crap from guys uh, just oh God, you know it's it's just ridiculous like put yourself in Greg's shoes a little bit but what was it like being in the locker room and were you, did you get a lot of crap for your dad having no. to like do his job
0: no not when i was playing absolutely not no
4: okay and, that's
0: awesome you know guys that are good guys good programming guys go on to be successful in life have great relationship with my dad i mean, I tell you my dad talks to Brad banks probably multiple times a year, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's just kind of one of those things, right? Where it, if you're worried about your equipment and not having the cool equipment when you're there, yeah, you're worried about the wrong thing.
3: Oh, exactly. Cause
0: that's not going to be the thing that makes a difference for you in the long run. You yeah. know? And if, if you're a good program guy, you do a good job, you treat people with respect, you say please and thank you, you say, hey, you know, how long have you been here? Where are you from? You make an effort to get to know people, you're going to have great relationships, and then people yeah. are going to go out of their way to help you. Period, point blank. Yeah. If you're always worried about I don't have the cool thing or the next thing, then yeah, you're going to bitch five years later about how somebody didn't get you a jock strap. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. You know, it's so I was never that guy. I was always just You know, I had what I needed and that was fine. And I'm going to go make the equipment look good by the way I play. Yeah. And that's, uh, that was kind of my approach. But as far as like somebody saying something to me, no, never, it was never an issue. And dude, I mean, by the time I was a junior, um, I'm a shadow of my former self. Right. But I was 245, all muscle, you know, it. Nobody was taking shots at me, man. Like that's yeah. just what it was.
4: Yeah, you would you would have took him down. See, I always wondered that because I'd heard guys just you know, and it was never anything serious. They're like, oh yeah, right. need an extra pair of gloves. Just joking around, kind of flipping crap. And in my mind, I'm like, God, I wonder if they just gave him complete shit when he was in school and gave him a hard time no. about that all the time. But that that's good. And it's just like we've been to read a couple guys where they were like. They'd seen the interview with your dad and been like, yeah, he's a real stickler with the gloves and with, you know, different things like that. And I'm like, well, you got to think about it from his perspective, man. He's got a budget right. to follow. And then if he runs out of stuff, he's probably got to answer to KF and, you know, exactly. to him, like all this stuff's gone because I was a pushover and I let guys just take stuff. Exactly. And that's exactly
0: you got to come hat in hand to whoever controls the purse springs purse strings not spray
4: i knew what you And meant.
0: say hey yeah we're we're out of we're out of equipment and i i did the the wash-up walk-ons podcast a couple of months ago and it, yeah. I, I said i'm like listen if every time a receiver wanted new gloves and we gave him new gloves we'd be out of gloves after week four like, oh. it's just that's that's the way it is man the, we live in a finite world you know and as, as much abundance as these players have you, there is a limit to it
4: no, yeah, absolutely. I don't think a lot of guys realize that there's a thing called a budget out there that you have to stay in between. Yep. It's infinite funds, man at the University of Iowa. I got a cash flow right. like you
0: wouldn't believe. Unfortunately. Oh. Unfortunately, they found out this year it's not, you know. No.
4: Unfortunately. Uh yeah, unfortunately. So hopefully things will get back to normal and they won't have to uh have to cut back like they have as of late, but um right. I remember a short little stint of your of your career, and I could be completely off on this, but I have a pretty good memory of uh, of your time at Iowa. You were rocking a stash there for a while, right? <laughs> I remember the stash, and I remember you now. I'm like, this, uh, I, I'm this like pathetic 30 year old guy, and I I came to your game at Purdue, and I want to say yeah. it was either your, was it your junior or senior season? And junior, uh, yeah, junior year, and I uh, I came Several up to timing came out after and I think you had just just gotten rid of it you had just shaved it oh, and I was like James what's up man and like you signed something for me and I took a picture with you and I'm like you need to bring back the stash. and you go nope ain't coming back not doing it what was behind the mustache
0: uh I guess i just and my wife and all my friends will tell you this like especially when I was in high school and especially when I was in college I I it can't be overstated how little I cared about my physical appearance. <laughs> like I don't think I ever combed my hair. You know, I never worried about matching clothes. like It was almost comical in a way. Like if you see any photos of me just kind of out and about in college. I've got like a gas station T-shirt and pajama pants on. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was my attitude, and so it was just kind of one of those things where I didn't really care what people thought about how I looked. Um, And I just was like, that doesn't really matter. And um, so I just, me and my uh, my roommate, Palmer, were kind of, you know, kind of free spirits and we just do kind of weird, wonky stuff. And so I think we're like, well, James, you should grow a mustache. I'm like, all right, yeah, that'd be cool. So I just decided <laughs> to grow a mustache. Uh, and so I started it, I think, like early in the season. And then I said the timing was terrible because it's kind of one of those, you know, funny wonky wonky things that that draws attention to yourself a little bit and i didn't do it to draw attention to myself i I really didn't and we ended up having a terrible season yeah and so we're like three quarters of the way through the season we're not going to a bowl game and i'm getting questions about my mustache i'm like this is not a good look you know i I need to create the appearance of being focused on playing better and not necessarily draw Mm -hmm. attention to the way i look so i shaved it but i'll say i've had a mustache twice since then Okay, So I I know there was a lot of chatter out in the digital universe about how bad my mustache was back in 2012. So I'm proud to say I have photo evidence of of bona fide mustaches that I've had since that time. It continues to – I can't grow a beard. Like right here I got the three musketeers. Okay. The D'Artagnan going on. (laughs) So that's fine. So we always joke if you combined myself and my brother, you'd have a pretty mean beard because my brother has like – nice chops and then like the neck beard going on, but he's got nothing right here. So I think it okay. was, yeah, the way the jeans got split. Um So yeah, That's so funny. I did, a, I did a mustache when I was in Dallas and I was just rehabbing and had no accountability to anybody other than my wife. Didn't have to be anywhere. It didn't have to be seen. So there's like a two month period where I grew it out. And then we did at work, um not in 2020, but 2019, we did a mustache November and we okay grew it out all month and then at the end we had like people you know put money in a Folgers can you know for who they thought had the best mustache and then raise money for prostate cancer so that was a good time so there's some pretty good uh some pretty good work photos of all of us with like our biker outfits on and
4: stuff awesome did your wife just hate it (laughs) oh she hates it yeah (laughs) she
0: hates it and especially for me like I, i never have one long enough To kind of really make the juice worth the squeeze because it's like (laughs) it's like three to four weeks of awkward phase Mm -hmm. right yeah you know it's like it's dusty at first and then it's (laughs) pedophilic and then finally then it like thickens up and so yeah yeah man i'll probably do it again at some point but okay not not in the near term
4: it gained some traction with Hawkeye fans. You like started seeing uh, guys with like I, I remember a couple games at Kinnick. I saw guys with some fake black mustaches that they wore into the stands oh, to support awesome. you. And I'm like, that's <laughs> freaking badass! And so oh, I, I remember at one point um, toward the end of that season, we all grew mustaches. Me and all my buddies to to commemorate your mustache. Oh, that's awesome, days. man! So, if yeah. only
0: on like, Twitter, we could have had like uh, you know some social media solidarity. You know, I know. That's These,
4: awesome. You put that many mustaches together. That's a that's a serious problem. That's all that's a lot of a lot of power right there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
4: Um, I wanted to talk to you about. You hear a lot of stories about, you know, the weight room, um, the conditioning and the intensity of yeah. everything you guys went through and how um how tough a lot of those workouts that you guys went through and that the guys now still go through. Um You know they call it the Iowa Edge for a reason. Uh, You put in that work and it it gives you an edge out on the field. You know physically and in you know conditioning wise as well. How did that shape you as a player going through all of that uh, conditioning and weightlifting? And because they really they consistently pushed you guys to your limits on on a lot of occasions.
0: Yeah, man. Um, It makes you tough. You know, a lot of it is as much as it is the physical strength. I think the mental part of it is maybe what they're trying to sharpen as much as anything. And mm-hmm. so I can tell you, you know, a huge, huge percentage of Iowa's success is attributable to the way that they ran, um, you know, our strength and conditioning program. And you just look at it. I mean, look at the, the average star ranking of our recruit, mm-hmm. right. And divide it by wins. And what is that ratio? And then compare it to our peers. You know, we probably got one of the higher ratios, yeah, in terms of overachieving on your cha- on your talent, and I think a lot of that is getting people that maybe otherwise wouldn't be Big Ten football players to to look like a Big Ten football player in yeah. terms of your height and your weight. You might not necessarily be as athletic as the guy at Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and then getting that guy really really tough. You know, yeah. so he he never quits and he never stops. And I think that that's the formula. That that's all it is. That's Iowa football in a nutshell. That's what it was. That's what it's going to continue to be as long as Kirk's there. And then you sprinkle in a few good athletes and you're in a BCS game every six years.
3: Yeah. you know. And,
0: and so that's what it is. And I think a lot of people want to crap on that and say, Oh, you know, you're not trying to be elite. You're not competing for a championship every year. Well, there's plenty of programs out there that were championship programs and had more resources and abandoned their formulas because they think that they needed something new, that they weren't on the front edge of things. Hmm. A la Nebraska, a la University of Texas. Um, hmm. look at any of the Florida schools. Yeah, you know, so th- there's something to be said for that. Um, yeah,
4: it, it would be nice if we could sprinkle in a few more of those high-level skill position players because that seems to be a lot of times, you know, the one ingredient that we're missing. But they got a pretty damn good formula there, though, and it's it it's got a proven track record for success. So um, yeah, and there's
0: just there's no there's not enough skill players that are homegrown. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of Iowa fans and just folks from the Midwest generally un- underestimate how irrelevant we are to a lot of the population centers where a lot of that talent is. Yeah, You know, you think about kids from Florida or Atlanta or the Carolinas or just anywhere in the Bible Belt, go to Chicago. You know, they can't find Iowa on a map, let alone – you know, conceptualize moving there, you know, and then you show up on your visit and you're like, Holy cow, it's all cornfields. And, and there aren't that many people that look like me. Do I really want to be here? Yeah. You know? And so it's, it's a huge, huge hurdle and recruiting is so much more efficient now than it was in the early two thousands where we could pull some kids out of Florida. Mm. You know, now there are very few diamonds in the rough anymore. Like Bob Sanders is not a two star if he goes through high school again.
4: That still blows me away that that guy was ever a two star and only had like an uh, offer from Ball State. Like
0: that doesn't it doesn't happen again. Like he's Mm -hmm. he's just gonna get found, you know. And yeah, so it's interesting. I think that's maybe why it's a little bit harder to kind of get some of those guys that we had early on. Now you really got to kind of duke it out. I mean, there'll okay. always there'll always be Josie Jewels, there'll always be George Kittles, but yeah, for you to say that that's a pillar of your program that we're going to find the guys that other guys can't right it, it, that you can't repeat that that's not reliable. It's more about the formula we talked about, right? Getting guys mm-hmm. making them look like big time football players and making them tough.
4: Yeah, with with the transition in leadership, um, with the strength and conditioning program do you feel like that there's going to, what type of changes do you feel like there's going to be going forward? Um, is there going to be a drop-off that we're going to see in performance from players on the field? Um, is there going to be, um, a different type of, uh, feeling where, when it comes to, you know, like the, just the feel on the sidelines and the behavior from the players, what type of changes do you feel like we're going to see going forward with, um, with a a, a new, you know, but the guy that we have, that's going to be taking over. He's been there for a long time. So I believe he's been there 15, 16 years. So, um, do you feel like there's going to be a lot of changes?
0: I have no idea what they're going to change. You know, I I haven't had that conversation with coach. I haven't had that conversation with Ray. I had a great relationship with Ray. Um, when I was playing, I really liked Ray. I got a really high opinion of Ray. So I would be shocked if Ray's anything but successful, Mm. you know, and I do know one thing about coach, um, and coach is going to make sure that his program is run the way that he wants it run. Mm. And so, if things are not moving in the direction or things aren't being done in a way that is up to his standard, he's going to communicate that. So as far as what's going to change, I'd only be speculating, man. And yeah. like I said, I do have relationships with those folks. So I'm not going to get on here and say, well, Ray's going to do this different or Ray's going to do that different. I can tell you Ray's a really talented coach. Ray knows what he's doing and I'd be shocked if he wasn't successful.
4: Yeah. And every player we've talked to, it, it has a just the most unbelievably high opinion of him and just as a person and, and as a coach. Yeah. So um your sentiment's been pretty consistent with everybody else's. They don't think there's going to be much of a change at all. But of course the beginning of last season, when we lose our first couple, you know, you have a lot tons of fans out there that are like, Oh, strength and conditioning program, you know, changes like that's what it's to. It's like, did you watch the game? It had I, absolutely nothing to do with that. Like
0: these it,
4: turnovers. Yeah. You know,
0: Protecting the football, executing at the quarterback position, all that stuff. That yeah, it's it's in the details like that. It's one thing if they're if they run it for three hundred and fifty yards and we can't get off a block. Yeah, all right, our guys aren't physically prepared. Yeah, but that was obviously never
4: the case. No, not at all, and it was exactly what you said. It's like, what? How is that? It just it didn't correlate whatsoever. So I'm excited to see, uh, you know, coach get his chance to. Uh, take that strength and conditioning program and just hopefully everybody that was involved with the program ends up being better off for it and you know has nothing but success going forward. Um, I wanted to ask you too, you guys have just an insane amount and I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but I know you guys all have just the most amazing stories from like the weight room, from the practice field, because we always seem to never have a lack of personalities and really interesting guys out there and when you when you got a group of guys that are getting pushed to the max and you got those type of intense personalities that creates some fun stories do you have anything that you remember from your playing career that you'll be sitting there working at principal and all of a sudden you'll put a smile on your face and be like, god i remember that that was insane
0: so it's it's funny because like i don't have you know a black book that lists out all the funny all the funny stories um, you know, from when I was at Iowa and it's, things will happen. That'll spark a memory. Yeah. Like, Oh, I remember that. remember that one time. And so I'll be at work and somebody will say something. I'll be like, Hey, you know, one time when I was at Iowa, this happened, it was funny, but we were talking about squinnies earlier. Yeah. And this isn't necessarily a football story, but it's a good Iowa college sports story. So Hillcrest is the athlete storm or was the athlete storm. I don't, Think it is anymore, but so all okay. the athletes, all the freshman athletes lived in Hillcrest, and so you know, we'd be two rooms down from the wrestlers, right? And they're a wild bunch of guys like that, is, that is well known, yeah. And so, what happened was when I was at Iowa, a bunch of wrestlers got in trouble, <laughs> and this is getting to the squeeze. A bunch of wrestlers got in trouble, I don't know if they're suspended or fined or what happened, but what they were doing was in the woods next to Hillcrest, they were either trapping. Or shooting like rabbits and squirrels <laughs> and then carrying around the courtyard like after they get them you know people are like you know sunbathing and just watching these wrestlers you know their camo carrying around these dead animals <laughs> and then they take them into their dorm rooms and then cleaned them in their dorm rooms wow and so you go and they'd be like these buckets of blood or whatever and so it, yeah, that got around so i'm like that was a little different um but so i, I thought that was a pretty crazy story when i when i saw that happening
4: that's awesome. Th- those guys, though, those wrestlers are a different breed. be, be able different to, like, breed, man. Yeah, th- it's awesome, and we love freaking love them. And that's one of the it's... most well respected programs in the country. But yeah, those guys are. Those guys all-
0: are like they're the epitome of uh, what. In one of Dave Chappelle's early stand up, he tells a story about the guy that was like speeding, and then his line to the officer was, I- "I'm sorry, I didn't know I couldn't do that." <laughs> you know, that's kind of how those guys operate, right? They're like, "Oh, there's rabbits out there. Let's go shoot them." You know, and then the cops show up. And they're like, "Oh, I didn't know I couldn't do that." Yeah, you know,
4: so. <laughs> that's awesome. You get those guys, like those Iowa boys, and you know they usually bring guys from Pennsylvania out a lot. But a lot of those guys grew up in rural America, and you, you yeah. can just take out a freaking pellet gun. Do that, call. man. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, what, that's what we do here. So, like, yes. Oh, that's that's a fantastic story. I love that, um, James. With your transition to the National Football League, uh, can you walk us through? what that was like, Um, how, how difficult was that to transition to that game and uh, what some of the biggest differences were for you uh, going from the big 10 to the NFL?
0: It was a huge difference. Um, And it was really, really hard to transition. Um, And now I've talked again on some other forums about sort of that story, but my, my career almost never got off the ground. Um, And I had a really productive senior year you know, statistically. And I would tell you in a normal year, you know, my, my weight room metrics, my athletic performance would typically be very, very competitive. And then I went to the combine, it was kind of trying to push through some injuries and had some re- a really, really poor performance at the combine. It um, ended up going undrafted. And I'm not saying that's why, right? It just, I didn't get drafted and I thought I would. And so I signed on with New England as undrafted free agent. And then my first day there um, on my entry physical, I failed my physical. They found out I had a blood clot in my leg all the way from my calf up to where, you know, the crotch of your groin is. Um, okay. and at the time, I'm, I didn't really realize how serious it was, but I ended up meeting with a doctor um, at Mass General. And the guy's like, listen, this thing is is very close to breaking off to like the main vein that then runs into your, your heart and your lungs. And that's my big concern right now. And so I don't want you leaving this hospital, you know, until you're on, you know, a heavy dose of blood thinners, basically what he said. And So I get back to the facility and I meet with kind of the the coaches and whatnot. And they're like, Hey, we're going to cut you for a failed physical Um, go home, get this resolved. And you know, if it works in the future, it works in the future. And so I I went home and was on the street for probably three months thinking I was never going to play again. And then ended up getting cleared by a doctor in Iowa City, um, in August. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't been working out. I tried to go try out with the Patriots again in August, um, and ended up sticking there. And okay. then had a had a decent preseason. Um, and then blew out my knee in the last preseason game. And so that was that was my rookie year, right? That right there okay. almost never happened. And then ended up getting hurt. But as far as just transitioning the game, it's like I, I tell people if, if every offensive lineman was Brandon Sheriff, or if every offensive lineman was Tristan Wirth's, imagine how hard it would be to play in that, in that universe. And the first, the first practice I was at, we go to what is the NFL equivalent of blocks drill, or basically it's like Oklahoma, you know, where it's, they break the line into smaller pieces. So you have a center two guards, D tackle and a linebacker, and then they just run like inside zone tracks and you just rep that play. And it's, it's a very high contract, high contact drill. We do it at Iowa. It would get super intense, and then we get to New England and do it. I remember the first time I watched like the guys do it. And it was like Gerard Mayo, who's an All-Pro linebacker, going against some. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. He was All-Pro from New England, got traded to Tampa Bay. Um,
1: was it somebody Gronkowski? Out there,
0: no, he was a guard. Um, a guard. Um, I mean, he had a really good career, but. I, it's embarrassing. I can't remember his name right now, but those two guys butted heads on the first play. And it sounded like a freaking bomb went off. I was Uh like, Oh my God. And I got to hit that guy that hard. Uh Yeah. I'm physically capable of doing it. It's just a question of how am I going to feel after doing it? And how many times am I going to be able to do that (laughs) and still have a career? And like, it got very real for me at that point. And so it was like one of those things where the stakes are just different. And when the stakes are different, that pushes you to do things that you, you wouldn't think you you could do, you know, and college is a little different, right? I mean, college, if I'm going to get a good player, you know, I'll pop them once,
3: mm-hmm. you
0: know, and, and have a really tough go of it. And that kind of sends a message that I'm here, I'm here to compete, you know, I'm a big dog, all those things. But then every rep after that, I kind of, you know, play the cat and mouse game, you mm-hmm. know, because I don't have to whip that guy every time. And if I have a bad play, well, I'm still on scholarship. I'm still the big dog. It's not that way in the NFL, especially if you're a fringe guy or you a young guy in the NFL, you gotta bring it every time. And if you don't, you're going home, you know? Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about before the call, you know, like, and then it's a question of if you're a practice squad guy, how are you paying your rent that week yeah. or that month? You know, and so that's the stakes. And so the stakes being that high, it pushes guys to be even more physical and even more aggressive than they are in college. Combine that with the fact that they have even more ability than your average college player. And you've got a really, really physical game. And so like the guys that play for 10 or 15 years, I mean, I don't know how they do it. I I don't know how they do it. And then you, but then you see them later on down the road, guys like Earl Campbell and just how broken they are. I mean, physically you just, we are not anatomically built to do that at that level for that long. So it's, it was intense, man. And, And I would probably say, it took me longer to adjust to that game, that level of play. than maybe I wanted it to now, granted, I missed my whole rookie year. I wasn't getting a lot of reps my second year. And then my third year in Dallas in training camp with them, that's when things kind of started to slow down and I started to get some comfortability, Mm -hmm. but then I blew out my shoulder in preseason there. And that was it, you know? So. Yeah.
4: Um, you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, when I, um, was reading up on you a little bit and I hadn't realized this. You were on the New England roster uh when you guys had won a Super Bowl, am I correct? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Great uh, that's experience.
4: that's pretty awesome. Can you walk tell us a little bit about that experience? And um you, you still got the Super Bowl ring? Do you ever bust it out? You know, that's a pretty cool thing to have.
0: It, it's really cool. Um it, it's a treasured possession. Um and just being a part of that team and being a part of that group of guys was was really awesome. We had a really good room. Pat Graham was our linebacker coach. The linebackers in that room were Rob Mayo, linebacker coach at New England now, who's interviewing for head coaching jobs. Dante Hightower is Pro Bowler. Jamie Collins, Pro Bowler. And you know, for my money, when Jamie was at his peak, he was probably the best all-around linebacker in the NFL. Maybe the most underrated player in the NFL at that time. But his performance throughout his career has has seesawed. But when he's he's at the top, I mean, there's nobody better. Um. And then, and then some other guys that were just you know good, hardworking, team-first guys. I mean, we we had a great room, we had great chemistry. They were very intellectual in their approach to the game, and we did some really cool stuff schematically. And it, it was a really great place to learn football. And I learned more in that year of football than I have in any other point in my career. Um, and, okay. and then getting to go to go to New York after that with Spagnolo who's now kind of had a, a wonderful career renaissance with the chiefs and really has that defense playing well. And then going to Dallas and being with Marinelli, who was a legend. I mean, it was, yeah. I, I feel really blessed to have played for the coaches that I played for because, you know, I got to learn, you know, Dungy's Tampa two from Marinelli um, Spagnolo's multiples defense, and then Belichick's multiples defense. And then the the thing I respected and loved about Bill so much is just, how available he was from the standpoint of, you know, I could ask Bill a schematic question and Bill would be able to answer it and give me like historical references. He's like, well, this is what we did with Lawrence Taylor in the nineties and we had an issue here. So we changed it. So that's why we do that. And that really helped me because if I understood the why I didn't necessarily have to have the vocabulary memorized, Mm. it was, you know, I could back into it based on a situation in the field. Like if I see something on the field, I'm like, oh, this is an issue. This is what we need to be worried about. And then that's how I'm going to adjust my alignment or how I play it. And there aren't a lot of senior coaches in the NFL that can do that. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Um, and so that that's what makes Bill special is – and he, he's generally smarter than most people. Like he just has a high IQ.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, But he just knows it. He understands the why. Um, And he's available. And, you know, for me being an undrafted free agent – to stick my head in Bill's office and say, Hey Bill, uh, you said this thing. I had a question about that. And he'd take five minutes to explain it to me. And I've had, I've had NFL coaches shoo me out of their office saying, no, I don't have time to explain you this, to explain to you the thing that you need to know to stay employed here. I don't have time to teach you that I've had people say that to me. I mean, and Bill's not that way, even though he could be a mean son of a gun, you know, it's yeah. not necessarily a guy you want to have a beer with. I, I respected him because he was available you know, and he knew a shit. Well,
4: that's awesome that you said that because that was actually going to be my next question. So um, I appreciate that. And it, you know, obviously he's one of the best to ever do it. And he's a, like you said, an extremely intelligent guy. Um, I want to end with this last question. It always seems like, um, it, it, it's just a fact that the New England Patriots, especially don't necessarily draft a lot of Hawkeyes, but they definitely pick them up um, after the draft from free agency. Uh, what is it about, being a Hawkeye and, and playing under Kirk Behrens that makes you so well respected as a pro coming in? Cause it seems like there's a certain level of immediate credibility that especially guys like Bill Belichick knows that if he's going to get a Hawkeye in there and that if KF gives you the thumbs up and the seal of approval, you're going to come in there, you're going to do your job and you're going to work hard.
0: Yes. It's, it's real. It's a hundred percent true, you know, and it's kind of one of those things when you hear it, bantered around. You're like, oh, is this thing just oversold? Is it us just patting ourselves on the back? But my experience was that it's it's very real and it's very true. And I think it's just the ability to know that someone is coming from a discipline structured environment and they're going to put the team first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think those are things that, those are some of the most unanswerable questions when you're looking at a guy from you know, a mid-tier no-name school. This guy's really talented. He's had some strong individual performance, but we don't know much about the team's culture. We don't know much about this kid's worldviews. Um, and so there's an assurance just based on coach's track record and the guys that came before me that we all benefit from that. And I think it's, it's largely true. I mean, guys come in, they're disciplined, they're hardworking, they do well in structure and they put the team first. And I'd say, putting the team first and particularly new england that that's one thing that's a little bit more real in new england than it is in some other places and that they really do put the team first it, as much as you can it's a star driven league yeah you know tom brady rob gronkowski and julian edelman sell a hell of a lot more tickets a hell of a lot more gear than i do yeah and so there's always some of that those guys are going to be marketed but in terms of schemes and what they ask people to do on a weekly basis. New England is, I would say, more team first than a lot of other places. And I I kind of alluded to, you know, some of the schemes we did that gave us maximum optionality, but you do that at the expense of a lot of people's individual performances. You know, so like if let's say Von Miller was going to play defensive end in New England, well, if Von Miller, every time they drop back to pass, Von Miller has the option to rush the quarterback as he sees fit. He's going to get 15 sacks a year. Yeah. But if you know, every time you drop back to pass, Von Miller has maximum optionality to rush. You can scheme against that. Yeah. And it makes it harder for Von to be successful. It makes it harder for us to be successful as a defense. A good multiples defense is all about keeping the offense guessing. And so new England has a number of packages where they give someone like a Gerard Mayo or, I'm not going to say myself, but that was always what I aspired to be, to be the guy that controlled the optionality of the defense and say, based on this look, Vaughn, you're not going to rush. You're going to act like you're going to rush, you know, and then you and I are going to create a two-on-one effect on the tackle, and then we're going to force him to be wrong. Okay. And they create, through their schemes, more situations like that than most defensive coordinators do in the league. And so it's the idea is if you trust yeah. the guys that sort of execute the options, so you need a drama, you need a Dante Hightower, you can create situations organically on the field that confuse the offense and you wouldn't necessarily be able to just call that play as a defensive coordinator. So it's, the optionality is baked into the defense. And there there was no other defense that I see or was a part of that was like that. And that's why you look at New England's defense this past year, how little talent they had how successful they were. And it's, it's because they have the right people in the right situations and they're just always confusing offenses. And so I I loved it. I I could have stayed there for 15 years and played there. If it it had been up to me, I just, I love this game.
4: Uh, I'm geeking out big time right now, James, like the, the information, the football talk, like this is like next level stuff. I haven't gotten to with anybody. It's It's like, it's great.
0: Okay. I'll tell you one more story, but a lot of football geeks know what a double mug look is, right? Where, Mm your defensive tackles are wide and then you walk up the two off or the two linebackers on the center. And the idea is you don't know who's coming. One could be coming or they both could be dropping out or they both could be coming. And then in addition to them both becoming, they can run pick games based on where the center sets. So the idea is if the center sets to one linebacker, then the linebacker he doesn't set to, is going to pick him. He's going to try and hit him, and then the other guy wraps around. So the idea is no matter who you block, you're okay. wrong. Okay. And so then they do different things. The offense will do different things to kind of solve around that. Well, what Bill would do is he'd say, well, I'm not going to pick the center because the center's, let's say he's their best offensive lineman. He's their smartest guy. Maybe so-and-so on the offensive line had like a bad week last week. I'm going to run double mug on that guy. So I remember when we were playing the Ravens in the playoff game, and Kalichi Assemble. I think I'm saying it right. I know his first name is Kalichi. He's an Iowa State guy. Okay. Still, he worked me over when I was a freshman at Iowa. But we were playing Baltimore, and Bill basically said, I don't think Kalichi can handle the double mug look and passing. An idea, And so instead of double mugging over the center, we double mug over Kalichi all game. And they got like two sacks off of it. Nice. And so they're picking it in all these schemes. And so that's why I said just the way they operate as a defense is like there's general rules, but we're not necessarily a slave to the rule. Um, yeah. Most defenses, you know, even at Iowa, most defenses, they tend to be a slave to the rule. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas Bill is basically saying, I'm going to take a concept and I'm going to put it where it's going to be most effective. And he, they did that better than anybody else in the league. And that's why they're the best in my opinion, one example, why they're the best.
4: Yeah. The best, probably the best, not probably the best organization in the NFL and the most consistently good. So yeah, that's man. That's a great story, James. Thanks for sharing all that with us. Yeah, no problem. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I loved it. It was a great organization. It's, it's certainly a new epoch. Um, with uh, uh, with Tom being gone. But yeah. my guess is they'll still be competitive. I mean, they had a lot of talent opt out last yeah. year. And that yeah. and that really hurt them.
4: And people don't and, talk about that a lot with them. They don't talk about all the guys that opted out.
0: Well, the NFL is different than college. Um, my agent, who's Kirk's agent, he, he explained this to me once. He's 100% right. The NFL is close to a fair fight. College is not a fair fight. In the NFL, you get one first rounder a year. Mm-hmm. In college, you get as many first rounders as you want. So Nick Saban gets five or six first rounders a year, but he gets them coming out of high school. But they're still first rounders. Yep. That's just not fair. Yeah. Um, and so in the NFL, where where you draft at has a huge impact. And so the biggest challenge for New England has been like the longer you win, the harder it is to stay on top, not just from the standpoint of inertia, but from the standpoint of you're drafting later. And so there are yeah. only so many good bona fide players. And so when you are in the back half of the first round for 10 years in a row, you are in such a worse position than someone who's been in the front half of the first round for however long they have. You look at like the Cleveland Browns the amount of talent they have. Yeah. And New England's the opposite. And it's because they're drafting in the top 10 every year. And so that has finally caught up to New England, at least over this most recent cycle, you know, yeah. after, so it, it, it's interesting. There's a lot of factors at work as to why they're kind of struggling right now.
4: I had some fans of other uh, college fan bases call me a borderline communist because I said that at some point it would be great that if we had some sort of level that if like you rank out the recruits that every year you could only have one school could only sign so many five stars, so many four stars, so many three stars. So you had to be more selective about who you're taking and when you're taking them, not just loading up on the top talent seeing where they all fall and then the guys that don't make it end up transferring like crazy and you got guys going back and forth. In my opinion, if you know the NCAA went to a little bit of a system like that where you could only get so many guys at a star level, I think that would a level the playing field and make the game a lot more interesting because it's so top heavy right now. And it's been for so long. I think college football is the greatest game on the planet, but it has not been the most fun game to watch over the last three or four years.
0: man, we are really going down the wormhole, but right. Like, yeah, the returns on capital exceed the rate of growth. In other words, the rich get richer. Yeah. And that's certainly the case in college football. But like what you talked about that, that's what the NFL is. It's a talent cartel. They've all agreed on how we're going to allocate resources and ideas. They all benefit because the game is competitive as opposed to one person pulling away. And college isn't that way. College is, is feudalist. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's, yeah, it, it's interesting and we'd need another hour to talk about that, but you, you yeah. touched on a really good point.
3: No, absolutely. Uh, it's,
0: yeah. I mean, somebody would call you a communist for that proposal, but would they consider the NFL communist, or would they say that the players in the players union are greedy? You know, yeah. what, what would that same person say? So it's, it's interesting, you know, the way people think about things relative to the way they've always been you know, yeah. life has always been that way. So I don't see it as a problem. Right.
4: We're going to have to have you back on in the next three or four months and just uh, hit this again, because you just, I don't you, know man. if we talk
0: about this, I might get myself in trouble.
4: So, <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Know. All right. Well, Hey man, thank you so much for yeah. take, taking an hour out of, out of your busy schedule with everything. And um, again, I just want to say congratulations on, uh, on the, on the baby coming in and just, you know, hope that everyone's happy and healthy, and that everything goes great, and and make sure to tell your wife congratulations too. That we're super happy for you guys. Thank you, appreciate. It. This has been awesome, and uh, we're really excited. Man, James, I had so much fun talking to you, man. You're freaking <laughs> blast. One of my <laughs> favorite, awesome. inter- one of my favorite interviews all time, dude. I I, I had a, such a good time. So well, thank I you. I love so looking much. at your
0: background, man. I love looking at that.
4: I got a lot of stuff, man. Got a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, man. Well, well, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again sometime. And uh, we always end everything here with the Go Hawks.
0: All right. On me?
4: Yeah, on you, baby. Let's do it. All right. Go Hawks. Go.
0: Awesome. Woo! Yep. All
4: right. Thanks, James.
0: See you, boss.